Hello, and welcome to the We're Not Stump podcast. I'm your host, Mike Boland, and I'm a congenital amputee of the right hand. In this show, I will interview other amputees and allow them to tell you their incredible life stories. I'll also feature family members of amputees and others who support the amputee community, all in an effort to discuss the challenges and triumphs of those living with limb loss. So stick around and listen to inspirational stories and find out why we say we're not stumped. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the We're Not Stumped podcast. I'm Mike Bolin, and today we have Christine Karen on as our guest. Christine is a survivor in the true sense of the word. She's a mother of four, an advocate, and a motivational speaker. Like me, she's an amputee. But unlike me, she's a multiple amputee, and she was not born as an amputee. There's so much to Christine and her story, and that's why we're, we're here today. So, Christine, thank you for being a guest on the We're Not Stumped podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, we always like to start the podcast with a in-your-own-word segment. So, uh, Christine, if you don't mind, uh, we certainly like to hear your story. Well, uh, my story started in 2013, or this segment of my, this chapter of my story started in 2013. Um, I hadn't been feeling my best that year. I think I'd been uh, uh, fighting bronchitis and a few other things. And um, on a Thursday afternoon, I, my pool was being opened. Um, I'm from Canada, by the way. And uh, so the pool was being open and I was playing with my dogs outside. And uh, we were playing tug of war when one accidentally nipped my left hand. Mm. It wasn't aggressive. There was no blood. Uh, it was just a skin break. And I immediately put my hand in the pool because uh, anybody who's opened a pool knows there are chemicals in that sucker. Yeah. Um, so I did that first and we continued our game. But then when I went inside, I washed it again and I polysporined and did, did the disinfecting uh, and then polysporined. And I didn't think about it again because I did not have any pain Uh for days, like I didn't have any pain from my hand. Um, flash forward to the Monday I'm at work. Um, I come back to my desk and I realize that my drink from this morning is still sitting on my desk and that this was the first time that I had been to the bathroom all day. Hmm. So wow. at work on Monday and I hadn't been feeling great, right? So I had a doctor's appointment scheduled for that day. And it was like, as soon as I noticed this, that I hadn't had anything to drink or use the washroom, my doctor's office called and canceled my doctor's appointment. Hmm. They had a med medical emergency in the office so, or something, but they were in essence canceling my appointment and said, if you're really sick, go to emergency. And in my head, I was like, you know, I'm not that sick. I'll, uh, you know. I'm not feeling that bad at this point. Tuesday morning, I uh, I was a runner, by the way. I used to run every day, and I used to do a 5K on Saturdays. Um, so I, and I had done that on the Saturday. And um, Tuesday, I barely made it around my block, and I was winded and dizzy. And uh, so I walked the rest of the block, and I was in a foul mood and i uh i took a shower and i felt a lot better and but i got to work and i was speaking to one of my co-workers um and honest to god it's like somebody punched me in the stomach i became winded and um i said to her i i have to go home now 
I, I really feel like shit. Um, that I'm quoting myself. That's fine. Uh, a lot of places go, well, could you use another one? That's what I said in mm -hmm. my office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I honestly just picked my stuff up and left. And it took me six months to actually remember that. I didn't remember anything from Tuesday. Wow. For six months. Wow. Um, I woke up. Well, I, I remembered little tiny bits, but not. Uh, I woke. I went home. I was sitting at the lights, actually, uh, which would have been a crossroads. And I said, do I go to the hospital? And I thought, no. And this is how one of the first signs that I wasn't thinking properly. The reason I didn't want to go to the hospital was because my car would be stuck in the parking lot if I had to be admitted. Hmm. Well, there's some good reasoning, right? <laughs> I mean, really. And I laughed a few years because I'd been reading an article a few months earlier about a woman having a heart attack and that she couldn't go to the hospital until her laundry was folded. Hmm. And I thought to myself, what? Yeah. You're having a heart attack. Yeah. Well, I'm worried about leaving my car in, in the wrong parking lot. <laughs> this isn't much better, right? Yeah. Anyhow, so I go home and I go to lie down in bed. And this is another sign. I thought if I died, it would take them hours to find me. And this wasn't a comedian thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know how we say, I, I wish I would die or, you know, when you're <laughs> feeling really bad. Uh, but I honestly, this was serious. Mm -hmm. I thought take them hours before they found me dead up here yeah. um thinking or knowing that you're going to die is a sign of sepsis wow it's not a question it's a, i know this is going to happen wow right yeah. um so i lay on the couch uh but i was i didn't know any of these signs right yeah so when you ret retrospect is always 2020 as they say yep so I lay on the couch at about 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, my youngest son came in and woke me up to tell me I was breathing funny. Uh, I told him, yeah, no, I'm fine, whatever, and rolled over and slept till 8.30. Wow. Yeah, and wow. uh, I wasn't woken. I wasn't. Uh, and I went to the after hours clinic um, and uh, they were closed. They're, the website said they were open till nine hmm. and they were closed. And um, then uh, I went home, but the friend said they would drive me to the hospital, but an eight hour wait just didn't it, like it, yeah. it killed me. It, like it was, it was actually draining me to think about an eight hour wait. So I said, you know, I'll go home and sleep mm -hmm. and I'll go first thing in the morning. Well, I'm lucky because a lot of people don't make, don't get up the next morning. Wow. Um, but for myself, I woke up at about 8, 1130 at night and I had flu symptoms. So I was sick probably till about three in the morning. And then I, um, I didn't sleep. I lay in bed. I contemplated calling an ambulance, but again, I thought I can't even stand up for longer than two minutes. I can't have them come to the door. They'll wake up my kids. I, uh, uh, I just, so I waited until morning. So at 7am, I walked into the emergency room. I told the security guard, if I pass out, tell them I think I have pneumonia. So I got to the admitting nurse or the nurse at the emergency. I handed her my health card. 
and passed out. Wow. And I came to for a couple of seconds, enough to tell them that I couldn't feel my hands and feet. Wow. And then I woke up a month later. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Wow. And I woke up in a different hospital. And I had no recollection. I remembered going to the uh, long-term care. And I remembered going up the stairs to my bedroom. But I had no recollection of anything for a good six months post. So I woke up a month later. I should have been in my bed. So that my brain crashed. Um, she asked me, did I know what day it was? I still had the day I went at the 20, uh, the 21st wow. because it would have been the night before. Mm -hmm. uh, then I 22nd and then the 23rd and then I guessed up to the 24th. And then she told me it was the 13th of June. What, and a month again, and a half later, a month later, you're saying? Wow. Yeah. A month later. Wow. It was, a, it was just under a month later because I went in on the 22nd of, um, uh, 22nd of May and I was woken. I'm pretty sure it was the 13th of June. I'd have to look at my stuff, but, mm -hmm. uh, Wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you, as you speak, uh, what you were talking about was you're a runner and you're, you're, you're running five K's. Suddenly you can't stand for two minutes. And I think that kind of, you're talking about, you know, your, your mental state because of what you were going through. I think that speaks a lot to it. If I'm not mistaken, is that yes. one of the, is that one of the things with steps this, that you should be looking for? Yes. The mental state is huge. Yeah. Um, people aren't making sense. I have a, a couple that I spoke to that they were in the emergency room and the nurse asked, uh, asked him a question and he started telling her about a knife he bought that afternoon. <laughs> and I guess the nurse looked at the wife and went, is this normal? And she said, absolutely not. And then he started to decline quickly. Oh, wow. And that is what happened to me. I started to decline so quickly after I started showing uh, the mental side of it. And when they woke me up, uh, one of the main things they were looking for was severe brain damage mm -hmm. because I had been ventilated that whole time. And uh, after a week of ventilation, uh, there's some damage that starts to happen to the body and mm -hmm. break down. And uh, one of the issues is some, some brain issues. Um, they were quite shocked that I remembered the day they remembered that I should have been in bed and what hospital I was headed for. Wow. Um, so that was very exciting for them, <laughs> but I uh, had no clue what was going on. And I looked over and there was my daughter and uh, I, cause they said they wanted to see if I would recognize her. And I said, that's my Kika. And she went Yoda. No, it wasn't Yoda. It was um, the guy was the ring chest um yeah the rings yeah uh, golem anyhow she goes my god you sound like golem <laughs> <laughs> wow so that's her first words to me <laughs> after months uh that i sounded like golem and i still kind of do uh, i've got a deeper voice than my sons and most <laughs> men in my life so uh this is uh this is the results of um uh, life support being rammed through your vocal box. Oh wow! I, can only I used to be able to sing, and I can't hold. Uh, I can't hold that 
uh, I have a not a lot, a lot of control over my uh, my vocal box. Well, you sound fine today, and thank you for well, being on. Well, thank you, here. thank you very and much. Also, yeah, but and I, you, I do, I, but I can't. I also wanted to thank you too because I I didn't say this in the lead in, but uh, I I knew from talking to you and, and, and you know reading about you that your your journey was from sepsis. Uh, I didn't want to bring that up because I knew that would, that's part of your journey. But I wanted to thank you for being on today because it is still September right now, and, and September is Sepsis Awareness Month. And yes. I know you're an advocate and you speak a lot to it. So again, thank you for taking the time in a, in a busy time in your life. But is there anything you'd like to speak to with sepsis awareness that, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from you? Well, I just want people to know that any, any infection can, can lead to sepsis. And today with antibiotic resistance, it's really more important than ever to get your infections under control. Mm. Um, there's none of this waiting uh, for the infection to pass anymore. When we were younger, you could sit out a sinus infection. Yeah, I'll just wait for it to pass. It'll cause mm. a bit of damage, but whatever. Mm. I know a lot of young men who, uh, especially men, um, who will um, wait for a dental infection to pass or wait until mm. it turns into an abscess. In today's day and age, um, that abscess is going septic really fast. And any infection, a dental abscess. Um, did you know that you could get um, a, a strep infection could enter your body through an open wound? No, I didn't. And know a that. lot of people think that they're feeling better after a couple of days on antibiotics and they go back to work or send their kids back to school. But in fact, they're still infectious and um, you can go septic this way because a strep infection um, doesn't cure itself it needs antibiotics um there's just any infection whether it's viral whether it is bacterial fungal or parasit or parasit parasitical <laughs> i'm not sure uh, but uh, those four um can go septic in in today's day and age wow. and they do and some takes a little longer than others but a flu in uh, young children uh, goes septic. Uh, it turns septic very wow. quickly. I did not know that. Wow, that's that's very good information to share. So thank you so much. You know, there we, are signs. Uh, yeah, there are there are signs to look for. If your child has the flu and their fever is broken, but they actually look worse than they did when they had fever, um, you want to look for some of these signs. And one of them would be a dry oh. diaper. Oh, uh, if your child or family member has not used the wa washroom or has had a dry diaper for over four hours, this indicates that there's some kidney uh, malfunction going on. And this is a sign of sepsis. This is a sign that your infection, which could be a viral infection from the flu, mm -hmm. is turning septic. A lot of the parents who had children that went septic said the fever broke but the child looked worse. Hmm. So that's one of the signs for a child. The child, I had a child that went septic. They never used the word sepsis uh, when she went septic. This was 30 years ago, wow. um, but she was like a rag doll. And my instincts were screaming at me to get her into the hospital. And everybody I spoke to said, well, she has the flu, of course she's sick. Yeah. But my instincts were going insane. Mm -hmm. And we brought her in and we lived in a small town at the time. 
And they uh, looked at her and she was admitted immediately and wow. put on an IV. They never uttered the word septic, ever. We never heard it. But now knowing what I know, that's what happened. Now, her fever hadn't broken. But in a lot of cases, the fever breaks and people think, well, if there's no fever, it can't be sepsis. A lot of people yep. that, that even know about sepsis, you do not need to have fever to be going septic. You need to have signs such as uh, the child looks like a rag doll. In an adult, you have extreme uh, muscle and joint pain, often a stomach pain. And you, have, you, you, you brought that up, right? You, you know, yeah. you brought up your stomach and then you also brought up the fact that you weren't able to stand. And it, well, that's No, and yeah. that made me dizzy. I couldn't. And I, I felt like I was going to pass out. But that's extreme. A lot of people can't catch their breath and their heart is going 100 miles an hour. I suspect that was going on, but mm -hmm. I wasn't mm -hmm. uh, aware of it. And maybe that's why I couldn't stand up. Yes. You wow. know, a baby grunts. A baby will sit there and Interesting. <clears throat> they just grunt. Interesting. So the parent is going like, what's going on? Like, yeah. what's going on? And the baby can't tell you, but a baby, one of the signs with children is grunting. Well, that's good to know. Many FCU professionals will tell you that. If the baby starts to grunt, you want to be looking into that. Um, wow. Uh, disoriented or confused. Yeah. That was the other one. Um, but that's also a sign of stroke. So, mm. but this is associated to infection. Mm -hmm. But if the person has infection and is showing signs of stroke, go with infection. Uh, tell the doctor. There is an infection. My father has gout in his hand. Gout is an infection. And the doctors often will mistake gout, uh, somebody collapsing from a gout infection, turning septic, for a stroke. It's, it's crazy, but it happens a lot. And you need to advocate for your family member. If there is an infection that you know about that the doctor does not you need to advocate because often, and this is where we lose patients, they're treated for stroke. They will develop a cytokine storm, which is blood clots, wow. which makes it look a little bit more like stroke, but they'll find out in an autopsy that the patient had an infection and they went septic. So Interesting. You need I, to know the signs. Absolutely. And, you know, you said something, too, that uh, I'm, I'm, as I'm starting to get uh, a lot more involved in the amputee community, at least, uh, you brought up advocate and advocating for yourself. And I, I, I've learned that that's important, as, certainly with what you're talking about. But even and now that Today. You know, yeah, and, and now that you've gone through and we'll have to get into that, you know, some of the drastic measures they took to save your life. But now you're wearing prosthetics. And uh, one of the things that I've learned uh, through other people getting prosthetics is how you have to advocate for yourself to make sure that you're getting the proper fitment, the proper care, all of that. So thank you for bringing up the advocacy and the self-advocacy. That's very important. Well, and I want to talk about ad, uh, amputees and a septic amputee. A traumatic amputee loses a limb and they have some risks, you know, of infection when they're healing sure. and they, they suffer every um, risks like other amputees, sure. a septic amputee for the first year is at risk of a heart attack and stroke. Wow. Um, 
can die from an infection on their residual limb. I didn't know that. Wow. So if they're not fitted properly and they keep having infections, that infection could kill a septic survivor. Um, I had a twin while I was in the hospital, a a male amputee. um, And I am so grateful for him. And uh, apparently he feels the same for me. I'm sorry it happened to him. Sure. Um, and he's sorry it happened to me, but we're so grateful that we could uh, uh, start this journey together yes. in rehab. Um, we have the same, uh, the damage I, I sustained from sepsis uh, was I have kidneys that function uh, at 35 and 50%. Mm-hmm. I have permanent lung damage. My vocal cords will be damaged forever. Um, I'm always at high risk of any infection that I get. Um, I'm at high risk of, uh, develop like it, it turning septic faster than the average. I risk a shortened life expectancy. Uh, the research only brings me to 10 years, which I am approaching now, which scares the daylights out of me because I'm approaching a big, uh, milestone right milestone yeah and there's not a lot of research past it i know there are survivors past it sure but not at my level not yeah. at my level of damage yeah. i know there are survivors that sure. passed it but not people that have the same level of physical damage that i sustained so um we touched on my organ damage i lost both of my legs below the knees um, I lost my left arm below the elbow and I lost all of the tips of my fingers on, I don't know. Can you see my hand? Yes. So my hand is severely damaged. I have a skin graft in there so that I could widen it because it was really uh, a tight, tight, tight. The scar tissue in my palm before the skin, the skin graft and one of the scars on the side of my hand literally pulled my fingers out of the sockets. Oh, wow. Yes. So I don't know if you can imagine that pain. No. no. It's worse. Um, <laughs> and they tried to put them back. And uh, once they're pulled out, they can't, they can't be uh, put back unless they're put in with nails or they call oh. them pins. Um, oh. But I can paint with what I have right now. And I can use a pen and I'm afraid that the pins will make me not be able to do that. And this is an outlet for survival for me. So until I can't hold a paintbrush, um, I'm not going to do pins in my hand, but I'm, they qualify me as a quad amputee uh, because I don't have much use Mm -hmm. of my right hand other than, and to me, that makes me a triple amputee because I could pick up this cup. Mm-hmm. You see, I could pick it up. Yeah. Because I have, I don't have a pincher. Okay. Um, like many do, but I, I don't have that because my thumb was taken too short. Um, so I, this little bit of function for me um, is a lifeline. Oh, I can imagine. As an artist. Sure. Um, because that was huge. Uh, it took me two years to be able to hold the paintbrush. I worked real hard at it. Um, and a pen and to to do some art i i paint christmas balls 
Oh, that's neat. Do you, do you ever post those on your social media? Your I Facebook? do. I, 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 I can send you some pictures. I, but... I'd love to see it. Um, yeah, because I, I, I've looked quite a bit on your posting and I, I hadn't seen that yet. But that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I started you... putting them up because I didn't think there was much interest in them. Oh, I bet there'd be a lot of interest. People started ordering them. Yes. So it was like a... It's uh, it was pretty exciting. That so, is really uh, an outlet for me. I, I like doing that stuff, but I have to tell you, in my recovery, I I identified more as an amputee than I did as a sepsis survivor, hmm. uh, because I didn't in the beginning understand what post sepsis syndrome was. Hmm. So I I have to say I did this drift over, and I did this this like a drift. Uh, I sort of pulled myself away from the sepsis groups for a little while. Um, because I, until I started meeting other amputees sure. that were uh, uh, sepsis uh, related amputees, sure. um, which I started meeting in the amputee groups, Got right? It. Yeah. Makes so sense. Um, that opened up my world. And I started doing so much research as soon as I got out of the hospital because I heard the word sepsis twice. Before and um, or during. I kept it during wow and uh but no information on it and my bestie that i started to tell you about in rehab suffered two strokes while we oh. were in there and i couldn't like i was terrified because we're twins right we have yes. you were we're 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 mutt and jeff and mm-hmm. you know like our doctor was calling it you know names like this and it was really fun but this really scared me and I didn't suffer a stroke or any heart ailments, uh, but a lot of post-sepsis survivors do. And they're at risk for that for the first year wow. at high risk for 120 days post-discharge. And I sent you a document connecting COVID to yes. sepsis. Yeah. And um, I'm going to say that explains the unexplained deaths, uh, sudden deaths that are happening uh, to put COVID patients um, post-COVID. Yeah, that's it's interesting. A risk, and yeah. it's been a known risk. Uh, it's a known risk for sepsis survivors for a while. Um, the World Sepsis Group or the Global Sepsis Team, I believe in January 2022 or is it 2021, put out a paper on that risk. Wow. Because they saw the, the connection of COVID and sepsis, and they were trying to get the risk factor out, mm-hmm. uh, the post, the recovery information out. Yes. Um, because survival is only the beginning of this show. Yeah. Uh, Really? And thank you. Thank you for sending over. You sent me over a lot of uh, infographs and things. And for the people that are watching on the YouTube channel, I'm going to incorporate They're going to be incorporated into the, the podcast. So if you're listening on a podcast, please come over to the YouTube channel and take a look. You know, you had said something earlier, too, about the lack of research 10 years out. And I want to go to something that, you know, you would pass along to me. And I want to ask you some questions about that. I learned that you're heavily involved in the sepsis research panel in Canada and uh, some other groups internationally. So you're going to be part of what the solution is or part of that research probably moving forward. Is, is that something that you can speak to? Um, I so hope I'm part of that and that we find something to stop this and or anything. Uh, to have better better outcomes for survivors. Um, in my pre-life, P 
preceptors. I had 20 years at Canada's National Research Council. Wow. And um, they have a research network across Canada um, that does research everything from uh, genetics to uh, computers to uh, everything. It was, um, I'm sorry, that was my dream job, uh, being connected to that research and that network. And um, when I became sick and I started trying to, I'm not a researcher myself, so I don't have the credentials, but I was trying to get, uh, I was part of a group that a friend of mine in Halifax and I uh, founded Canada's first sepsis support team. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's a Facebook group and it's private, but this was a place that sepsis survivors could connect privately. And I started um, documenting everybody's symptoms. I have got a document that I know you researchers want. <laughs> so you're just going to have to connect with me and I will share it. But I have been collecting for five years and wow. I've up to probably 3,000 people. Uh, uh, sepsis patients that I've spoken with. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, But I need to be able to put it together sure. in a document that uh, doctors understand <laughs> and research understand because they speak their own language. Right? Yeah, I was like, yeah, you need to make it that easy. <laughs> you yeah. need to make it, you, you need to you know put it in a different level. I'm kidding, you know, of have, course. <laughs> they have legalese, they have medicalese. I know they do. I lived in the hospital industry for a while. Yes. So I know they've got code. So, um, uh, so it was really important to me because when I was in the hospital, all the words we heard was rare, 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 rare. Um, hmm. She's the sickest person in the hospital. And these are lines that every single sepsis patient has heard hmm. and families. Yeah. So this is code. They're taught to say these things. And hmm. as with the internet, uh, we are realizing that we it's not rare. It's not rare. And why has there not been any research on it? People die, 11 million people die every year wow and that was before covid wow and it it disables millions of others every year so why has there not been any research done on this i'm not going to go into that but um but you know what I'm you're but I'll, I'll say this what you're doing though is making sure that there are there is going to be research into that and i think that's extremely important and uh, great well, job I'm, on doing that Thank you. Um, the Sepsis Alliance out of the United States actually saved my life. Interesting. Because when I came out of hospital, I was foggy. Um, I didn't know what the heck was going on. I was losing thought mid-sentence. Um, I connected with their web person uh, because I didn't, because I worked at a research network, I Kind of like, forget this, help people, go straight to the web person. <laughs> Anyhow, she sent me information. Um, I started speaking publicly. They were sending me information that I could use and slides that I could use. They helped me develop an elevator speech. Wow. That's on great. sepsis. Because you, you and I were talking about the yeah. speech you want to give. Yes. So on, and an elevator speech was in marketing. That's one of the, the keys. You got 10 minutes to tell me what you do. 
And uh, they helped me develop that. That's great. Uh, because I would do a speech on people didn't want to hear about substance. They wanted to hear about my journey. Um, but at the end of my speeches, bam, I'm hitting you with sepsis and I'm going to show you the science. And then I open up a conversation with my crowd that I am speaking to. And it is amazing where the conversation goes. Yes. Sometimes it goes to medical. Sometimes it goes to science. Sometimes it doesn't. It goes to uh, just adapting. Yes. But the the audience can take it wherever. I was speaking in Halifax and I had an EMT and a sepsis survivor in the audience. And those two people took that conversation places that I just couldn't have done by myself. And that was one of the best uh, for myself conversations. We got press on it. Um, I think that people left that speech um, elated and informed. And even the EMT, she was going back to speak to her preceptor, wow. who was all about sepsis. And um, they just energized each other, these two people, and me, because this sepsis survivor is full-bodied. And I'm sorry, she said that I was one of her heroes. Well, by the end of this speak, she was one of my heroes, because this woman suffers post-sepsis syndrome, uh, facets of it that I don't suffer and that I am seeing and that I started to see when I started. This is the woman I teamed up with. Wow. And yep. uh, we we developed that group that I was telling you about. You know, she inspired me. I, I'll you tell know? you, though, and I'm sure the listeners are going to feel the same way. As you speak, you have so much passion in your voice and you're so educated on all of what you're talking about that you know without your without your genesis of, of having that speech i'm sure those people wouldn't have come together so your passion shines through and you're doing a lot of great things so thank you to you for what you're doing thank you but you gotta talk when i get talking sometimes i forget where i'm going so please uh, please bring me back if oh that, no you're doing if fantastic you no, not at all. I mean, I, 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 I'm learning so much. And one of the things, even though we've been corresponding and, and have had some conversations now, um, that I didn't share with you, I wanted to share while we were speaking, but, um, uh, my, my dad had, uh, a, a UTI infection that, uh, turned into sepsis. And he, um, he was in a coma for a week. And when he came out, unfortunately, it was never the same. So, it, you know, that's why as I sit and listen to you and, as you speak and talk and I get to learn, um, I just, it, you know, it, it's amazing. Sepsis affects a lot of people and it, it affected me. And unfortunately, my dad was never the same after that. So it, it, it's good to be able to connect with you on that level. I have to tell you, a UTI, uh, especially in older people, um, it slams them into dementia. You, you I don't it. know how old your dad was or any of his issues. You nailed it. I speak. Okay. Because yeah. that it slams them. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, can speak personally to that too. Um, somebody that was walking, talking, and able to uh, take care of themselves uh, had a UTI and is now in a long term care because yeah. they can barely speak yeah. um, and can no longer walk yeah. and uh, often can't feed themselves. They were slammed into late stage dementia from a UTI yeah. and that is a common uh, and this is uh, 
I, children and older people, um, it's huge. They don't bounce back yeah. the way you expect them to. Sure. Uh, elderly people, I mean, if, uh, you don't expect them to bounce back. But children, you do, and they don't. Uh, cognitive changes yes. can be permanent. Yeah. Uh, some can, 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 there's another story of a child that uh, suffered such pain uh, his entire life. Uh, he had it as a neonate, suffered septic shock, um, and spent his life with what they called arthritis and um, pain his entire, entire life. And at like 25, woke up one day with no pain. Wow. Just interesting so i'd like him i'd like to take some blood samples from that young man you know what i mean yeah, I'd, yes. uh, but you're listening to mother's story going yeah well now he's a crazy man he wants to go skiing he's on motorcycles and he's <laughs> on because he doesn't he doesn't have pain that's great so, yeah good story you know man. he went it's a total other way Wait, and you brought up a couple things uh you brought up ptsd and then also post uh sepsis syndrome you brought up both yes. of those so I'd love to learn a little bit more on that, if possible. Well, I want to touch on the PTSD because um, a lot of family, um, anybody who's had sepsis, or if you were to look at me and mm -hmm. I told you I had PTSD, you would go, well, of course you do. Look at you, you know? Uh, you wouldn't say look at you, but you you know what I mean, right? I, I know what you mean. Um, so, but of course you do. And if I said I had brain fog, you would go, of course you do. Um but PTSD doesn't just affect the patient. It also affects the, the family of the patient. Uh, my family, I'm a single parent and I was totally autonomous. And uh, that's the right word, right? Auton I can do all, everything myself. Sure. Um, and I took care of the house. I did everything for them, blah, blah, blah. I was a single mother. Uh, to being in a bed on life support. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they didn't see anything. They didn't see that coming. That wasn't on their bingo card. Uh, that came out of the blue. Um, you're a parent. This happens to children uh, at just as fast. And I'm going to say there's more guilt when there's younger children because you're going, I should have seen the signs. Like all of a sudden your family member is on life support. Yeah. Your dad. Yeah. Um, he was. And what that does to you. It doesn't give you any preparation time no. uh, for any illness. Um, there's, it's, it's sudden. It's like a car accident. Um, I compare it to being hit by a Mack truck and the whole family being hit by that Mack truck uh, because uh, you're watching your, life, your wife die before your eyes. Yeah. And in most cases, like you read in my own story, my family was told to prepare for the worst. Yes, I did read that, yes. Right. And many of us, their families were told that and they're left hanging for a month. So what I did for a month, the year after, was I started crossing off days on the calendar. OK, so I went in on the 21st, uh, 22nd. My daughter was called at work. Um, my mother was called. She was driving somewhere. My daughter, other daughter was at work. My son was sitting on a bus when he was called and my youngest, nobody talked to him until that night because he has autism. They wanted to be face to face and sure. um, 
So, and nobody spoke to him until the next day because I hadn't been stabilized, but they all remember exactly where they were. Oh, sure. When they got this call, um, out of the blue, it's a punch in the face. It's a punch in the gut. And then you're sitting there. So what I started to do the following year was crossing the days off. Do you know how long a month is? Oh, when you're crossing off the days like that. It's an eternity. And, and I'm thinking they were, they had stuff planned where uh, I had one daughter staying home, making lunches, doing stuff with the boys, taking care of the house. My other daughter made lunches, went to my mother to be at the ICU all day. Yeah. And they were there from eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, or they did a shift, you know, somebody was there till, and then, you know, the next day they started over. So imagine, just, I can't even imagine what they went through. Yeah. Um, I, as a parent cannot fathom. Uh, every time I think about it, it just brings tears up to my eyes. So I don't sure. even want to go there. Sure. So it decimates, um, not only the person on the bed, but it decimates the family. Yes. And in my day, uh, they didn't tell the family about PTSD. So as soon as yeah. a family member reaches out to us, I am first to tell them, you need to watch out for this and watch for it in your kids because it's a real thing. And if the hospital offers you help while you're there, because you, sometimes they'll offer while you're in hospital, they'll offer some family support. Uh, it's gone once you're out of hospital. Oh, so if you get help, if you're offered any help, take it. Whether you think you need it or not, take it. That's great uh, advice. Canada. Yeah. Uh, but once you're out of the hospital, you don't get offered that help. It's private offered or through a support group like we're doing. Exactly. Uh, where people can talk to each other and see that uh, the memory thing is not just your dad or your wife or your... And they're not just playing with your head. There's a lot of family members say that you look okay, um, but you're just not right. And you're just obstinate. And you just, and the doctors actually will tell the family members, they're just looking for attention. They're used to being the center of attention when you've been in ICU. Doctors have said that to family members. That's terrible. So as you can imagine, support gets pulled. Yeah. Um, People get angry. Family members walk away from each other. Marriages break up because doctors say that. They don't recognize that the person is going through post-sepsis syndrome. And post-sepsis syndrome is a real thing. Um, it's been researched. They're pulling out more and more. We had more and more stuff out just before sepsis hit, uh, before COVID hit. In January... Uh, 2020, I believe, um, the WHO, uh, no, in 2017, the WHO did a whole thing on sepsis, uh, that it was spreading, like the, it was happening oh. more. And you can't catch sepsis. What's happening is it's um, it's uh, antibiotic resistance. It's stronger viruses. Hmm. Um, they're moving faster than they ever have. Wow. Uh, they're getting stronger like as we can see. Yeah. Um, so the who has recognized it. So anyhow, post-sepsis syndrome is a real thing and it's being recognized with COVID survivors. Interesting. And as you What's were saying, happening? oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask you a question just because how real it is and then people taking away some of the support they need. 
uh, you obviously have, have started something and, and that's fantastic. There's people all over. They're going to be listening to it, uh, to this. Are there organizations like say the uh, sepsis Alliance? Is there links in there where people can get help or there are in places Canada? all around the world right okay. now. We're so lucky. They're starting to open up everywhere. If you do sepsis EU, the page will come up. Australia, uh, sepsis has a page, um, Oh my gosh! And one just, just leaped my. Uh, well, you know what we can do. Scotland, the UK Sepsis Trust. I could send you a list. You know what? Uh, I, I would appreciate could. that. And, and here's why: what I'll do is I'll put that in the description because I think uh, it would be very important for people to have these links because, like you were saying, even as little as I guess what at this time nine years ago, and I don't want to say that's a little time because it is, a, but. In research. You know, it is, you're right. But in that time, especially then, there wasn't as much as there possibly is now. But you weren't able to find it, according to your story in it, 2013. It wasn't there. It didn't exist. There you go. Uh, in Canada, we had nothing. And I helped. I was part of the team that helped launch the Canadian Sepsis Foundation. Congratulations. And then we, we've got a research network, too. And um, But we had nothing in Canada. Uh, Sepsis Alliance was the only one that had real information on sepsis recovery and the UK sepsis trust had developed some post-sepsis documentation fact sheets. And then the CDC, if you go on the CDC website, there were pages there too. Mm. I don't know if they're still there, (laughs) but they were there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, And they were one of the first documents like document from a uh, federal organization, we'll say, um, touching on post-sepsis, post-infection recovery. And it's called post-sepsis because any infection leads to sepsis. And I'm going to use meningitis to explain that because a lot of people think meningitis means you're going to lose limbs. Hmm. Meningitis is the virus. If you catch it early, and it's detected and treated early, you're not necessarily going to have the limb loss. Interesting. That accompanies that. Um, Mm. The cicalas of post-infection, if you look up post-polio and post-Spanish flu, because there is a post-Spanish flu syndrome, Mm. they're all post-COVID, a post um, post-sepsis they're all post-sepsis at the worst cases because they didn't have a vaccine for polio so when you were recovering if it didn't kill you as an adult you were left with this fog yeah and lethargy and um they did a movie on it called uh, the awakening or something um this is a fact and these things happen in post post-infection recovery somebody who had uh, an appendix explode i'm going to tell you that that person is going septic because of the poisons that have been released in their body interesting it doesn't mean that they're put on a there are three levels to sepsis there's sepsis where you probably don't even know you have it when you need an iv antibiotic that's the first step that's interesting that's where the the oral isn't doing it and we need to put you in an IV, that's where things are starting to go wonky. Oh, you need some oxygen now? You're at the second level. 
And that's usually where the brain starts to, to, to go. You're usually, your kidneys have gone by then. Um, and then when you're passing out, that's your septic shock. There are three levels to septic. Th thank you for passing that. I had no idea of that. That's very important information. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. It is. And um, I've lived overseas. For everybody who thinks that they don't, wow, I didn't, I should have known. That. I lived in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and I thought I was very well educated on infections. Mm -hmm. I knew when it does this and you have the pain and that, that, that this is when you have to go in and get antibiotic. I had never heard the sepsis word. I didn't know there was three levels of infection. Yeah, right. mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that when this happens, you're in the, I didn't know any of that. I'm going to tell you, it's been one of the best kept secrets around the world forever. <laughs> and I don't know why all of us don't know why people say it's because there could be malpractice attached, attached to it. <laughs> but if, 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 if ER doctors are missing, the symptoms and you could be taught them in public health yeah i think every maternal and you know you have to take an early birth uh, maternity class why are they not teaching that you can go septic from a uti when you're pregnant real wow. fast like wow i didn't know that. and that getting the swab before delivery to make sure that you don't have uh, a bacteria a staph infection or a um, there's another one that they find often in the vaginal canal. It doesn't mean you're dirty. Mm -hmm. um, you get that swab because as soon as that baby comes through, the baby is exposed to it. Yeah. And so are you. Yeah. And those babies die. Oh, that's terrible. You know, um, yeah. because yeah. they're not. The education they, isn't there. You know, the, the education isn't there, but there's, there's, it should be it's in public health, in maternal be. health. Like that one just kills me, the maternal health one. Yes. There is no excuse for them not telling a woman yes. that is pregnant that if she suspects a UTI, she really needs to look at that right away. Well, I, there's no excuse for not telling them that. Well, it, thank you for sharing that today because I didn't know that. Uh, I have a couple kids. My wife and I have a couple kids. We didn't know that. I'm sure there's people out there that needed to hear this. So thank you so much. It's, it, it, it's, it just happens faster now than it used to. So being infection aware is yes. just very important today. Um, yes. The antibiotics aren't working the way they used to. And people are losing limbs. They're losing organs. Yeah. They're losing their life to a simple infection. Um, with sepsis, and I'm going to use a COVID infection. If you know the signs, what to look for and, and are treated, um, you can walk out of an eye of the ER. You might. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you don't know the signs of infection, you might walk out minus a kidney, minus a limb, um, with a heart complication that will never, ever go away. Um, myocarditis is a common, common, common uh injury from <laughs> sepsis but it's also a common injury from the flu oh, wow. and a lot of our flu people go end up with this myocarditis injury that they don't realize they have until a week later <laughs> and then they go septic because of that injury so it's uh 
the flu is a, a scary thing. You've heard of the flu. My gosh, you had the worst case of the flu. You needed a heart transplant. Oh, wow. Yeah, have you ever heard that? No, that I have the not. The flu attacked their heart and they need a heart transplant or it attacked their kidneys. They had sepsis is what happened. The flu did not attack their kidneys. Got it. The flu triggered the body's own septic response. Sepsis is not something you catch. It's your own body's response to out of control infection. Wow. Yeah, that's. So it's not something you catch. That's good to know too. I, I did. I remember yeah, learning like we that. We could both with my have dad. the same. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we could both have the same flu. We could both have the same infection, you and I, that gives us pneumonia. One of us, it'll trigger a septic response. The other one is just going to get better. And nobody knows why. That's where the studying is being done right now. Good. Checking those T cells out to see why are you not ending up in ICU and I am. Wow. Right? There's yeah, a reason. I, that's... Uh, Great information. And it's good that the research is starting to finally happen, right? It's I mean, happening. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and one of the things I read about you, and this is going to be like post, obviously, That's all the things you went through, you're starting, either starting, I saw a, a television program where you're starting to drive again, or maybe at this point you have started to drive again. So you mind speaking to that a little bit? Well, that was in, uh, I'm not sure if it was 2015 or 2016. Oh, so there was a little while ago. Okay. I got braces um, and I got my driver's license again. So that was 52. It was fantastic. I have not been doing a lot of driving lately uh, because my house does not have a covered garage. Okay. And I'm in Canada and there is snow and ice and I cannot get to a vehicle safely. Oh, that makes uh, sense. Yes. I didn't think to of drive. That. Yeah. Um, so my next purchase of a home will have a garage on it yeah. so that I can have that that independence but i have to tell you people are very nervous getting in the car with me <laughs> so if i am driving with a person that is licensed often they won't let me drive i'm uh, sure you do great uh i i do i mean i get home alive right when yeah. i go do my I do my thing <laughs> and that's you know part of the strategy people, right <laughs> yeah but a lot of people they get in that car and they are white knuckling before i'm even moving <laughs> and so it's uh uh, and you could just see it that it's not going to be a fun car ride. So you yeah. just might as well let them drive. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a lot of people just don't give that up. Yeah. But I do use it during the summer. Good. And it is and it, like it's really important to my independence. Uh, yeah. I still have one kid at home yeah. and uh, it's important to be able to to go oh, out and sure. do whatever you need to do. Sure. But like I'm not driving like I used to. Yeah. And uh I just people just won't let me. They're just they're just they're so judgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, people think I can't drive a stick shift, and I can. So yeah. you know, yeah, you know, you, just, you do what you do. You know, it's yeah. it, it, it's interesting. So there's two things that you know I've learned: the driving, and I didn't know about your artistic outlet, and that is really I can't wait to see more about that. Um, and having you share the the images with me and we'll, we'll if there's a link i can certainly share that on the podcast as well so i think yeah. i have some on my my public facebook page okay um but yeah i just started putting some of the pictures up because people said my gosh you should put some pictures up oh yeah definitely but, yeah i started uh, i just i was doing some stuff in my house and i just found paint because i used to paint 
and uh, I did a little feel sorry for myself hour. And uh, then I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and paint this little thing here. I'm sure I could do dots. And uh, there's an artist that does painting with dots. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try my hand at that and yes. try my hand. <laughs> uh, and uh, the first ones were a little rough, but like I said, it was just, it kept me busy. And um, I don't know, the more I did it, the more I was like, I was waking up in the morning going, oh yeah, I'm going to work on that snowman I did today. You know? Like, Absolutely. Uh, uh, but when I came out of the hospital, I it it was so depressing. And that that's why painting and yoga was really, really, oh, uh, I, I, I've got a prosthetic yoga arm. Nice. But I was doing yoga using my cupboards, my, my chest of drawers in my kitchen uh, for the different levels that you need to be on yoga. I just <laughs> open a cupboard door to do. And I was uh, using, I was balancing on my knuckles, which is obviously not great. But um, being able to do those things when I came out of the hospital was uh, really important and more important even than I, when I was in the hospital. Sure. Because when you're in rehab or in a hospital, you've got all these teams and people yeah. helping you up and building you up and going, you know, you walk, you're like, where did it go? You walk to the elevator and they're going, whoa, I can, yeah. I can barely do that for two feet. And, you know, oh. they're always just cheering sure. you on. Um, when you get home uh, with teenagers, <laughs> uh, nobody's cheering you on. Uh, <laughs> You know, and they secretly um, expect you to be who you were before. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the PTSD and healing thing. Uh, you still expect you to be the person you were before. And they still expect you to be the person you were before. And you're not. Mm -hmm. And uh, to try to be that person is is mental torture in itself. Sure. Uh, for both sides. Um, because you people have expectations from you that you can't meet. Yeah that make, uh, create mental health issues. Yeah. Um, when you're still trying to figure out who you are now, yeah. um, when I lose a thought mid sentence, you're making fun of me is not you making fun of me is okay because you're an entity. <laughs> I would never but anybody that. else, it's not, you know, well, I say a family member oh. and, and they don't do it. It's just, it's, it's weird thing. There's a lot of, um, uh, there's memory loss. So somebody will say, uh, you have an appointment or you said this yesterday. And I'll go, I did not say that yesterday. Instead of saying, remember what the doctor said about your memory. You did have a call. We did do this. And uh, in my family, the voices get raised and they think that yelling it at you. Mm. Uh, and I'm not just talking about my kids. Sure. Uh, yelling it at you will make you understand better that you don't remember what happened yesterday. So, and that's like speaking Chinese to somebody sure. who doesn't speak Chinese and yeah. yelling at them doesn't make doesn't it. Doesn't help. No. Yeah. And uh, you're already feeling pretty bad at this point in your recovery. Sure. Um, and these things are huge, but families don't get any coaching sessions. Isn't that they interesting? Don't yeah. Even, yeah. They don't even get told about PTSD for themselves or that. Sometimes it's mentioned that the patient might be, but in my case, PTSD is what the patient's going to have. Oh, there might be brain damage. So, so anything that was wrong with me, family members, yeah, well, you know, it could be that brain damage. 
So how would you react? Uh, that's, if yeah. uh, every time you had a little bit of a difference, somebody said, yeah, yeah, it's just that brain damage. Yeah, that, not yeah. too well. No one not would. Too- no one would no, react. Nobody well to would, that. right? Yeah, yeah that's, and, that's that's part of the golden rule thing, you know, doing to others and maybe yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand and, where you're going. And a lot of times when the doctors you go in to complain about these pains you have, and not me because I don't have these pains, but a lot of the sepsis survivors, the doctors do a few little tests and they go, There's nothing wrong with you. I'm thinking that maybe I should I should refer you to psychiatric help. Mm. And this person is suffering chronic pain. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but because the doctor doesn't recognize post-infection recovery. Um, so what's happening to a lot of our ICU patients is they're committing suicide. Oh, that's, that's terrible. When they come out of ICU. And there's mm-hmm. a, um, and that's because there's no support yeah. post-ICU. If you can't find stuff um, that brings you joy, um, uh, that doesn't involve a motorcycle or like myself, it was yoga and I couldn't do it, but I found a way of doing it. Good. Um, using my chest of drawers. Sure. But as soon as my doctor heard what I was doing, I mean, she had a cardiac. Like she was like, yeah, you can't be doing that. You need. So she built me a helmet for this hand. And oh, okay. She had a, a proper arm built for me, but. Well, good. At least she was encouraging and, and wanted you to she continue. She was. That's fantastic. But it wasn't proactive. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's you a great see? point. Yes. And that's where yeah. the people fall off. They fall off the the chart because none of this is proactive. Mm-hmm. They try and ask you what you like to do, but don't. Mm-hmm. You know, if I said I was a water skier, they'd sort of chuckle and go, and what else? Instead of, well, you know, we're going to work on that water skiing thing yeah let's see because we are going to work on that water skiing thing yeah because it can be done there yes. are ways right yes. um i've seen it. so yeah. there are ways yeah i, I certainly but, can't speak as as well you know as an amputee like yourself but for me i, I do whatever i feel like i, I golf yes. i play basketball you know i you know but even you run into people thinking that you can't oh. do something oh all the time yeah yeah oh, because you have one hand yeah. And one of my favorite lines, and I'm going to say, if you haven't used it yet, you should. <laughs> when you know somebody is, I, I always say, yeah, no, no, it's missing limbs. There's nothing wrong with the brain. Yeah, there you, you know? go. Good point. Because yes. Yes. people will sometimes make the assumption that because I'm missing some limbs, I won't understand what they're talking about. You know, and I, I learned that, and I agree with you. Um, I got a chance to talk to Nicole Kelly, uh, who's uh, an amputee. She a congenital amputee and and we're, we're gonna have, we'll do a podcast around this because we talked after the podcast we recorded but the appearance of a of a of an amputee sometimes it it, it makes people just assume to your point that other parts of their being is also affected so they just think i remember being a corporate america many times and and people with you know i'm like doing web design and but people weren't sure whether i could not because of anything just because of the way i appear so i think that's yes. an important message I, and thank you for bringing that up yeah and well and the computers the two hands right yes. that is a big thing to adapt i mean you would have learned it that way uh for me it was like learning how to drive all over again yeah for you it'd be a little bit more difficult than me i, I was well, born like this so i just kind of you know this is the way i've always been but for you it'd be yeah. certainly a lot more difficult than me well no it was an adapting period uh 
because I learned as you did as you were growing up how to use a computer. Sure. And you yeah. adapted as you were because uh, you were born that way. Yeah. Uh, for me, all I could think of was I need two hands. I need yeah. two hands. I need yeah. two hands. And it, it took like 10 months before somebody said, there are sticky keys. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that. I use a regular keyboard, and this is pretty much spacebar, spacebar, spacebar. It's kind yeah. of as a joke. Everything else is like with my fingers, but I, I'm not fast, but I, I can get around. So yeah, and I mean, I couldn't think of doing a control delete, and I can't don't have that oh, stretch yeah. in my palm because I did think I could try that, but I don't have the expansion in my palm. But wow, it took somebody ten, like eight to ten months before they said, "Well, you'll always be able to use an iPad because you don't need to do that." And then if you're on your laptop there are sticky keys there yeah. are adapt that's interesting to know but it took 10 months and i'm a new amputee so you're thinking that they gotta be giving me information to make me realize that i can function yes yeah you know Understand. because that's one of the biggest thing with a new amputee they crash and they get into depression because honestly i couldn't imagine life yeah how am i going to live with no limbs now this is embarrassing that I was actually suicidal over that because I know a lot of quad amputees now who are living life and can do kitchen stuff and can do. But at the time I was, I, I don't know if that's embarrassing though. I'm sorry. to. But it, I kind of feel bad because especially when I do it on a live, I admit to it on a live thing uh, because at the time, you're slammed into a world you know nothing about, yeah. right? Yeah. And the first thing that happens is depression. Sure. And to me, how could you avoid that depression is by showing people immediately. There are ways or even just telling them. And that's peer support. Having an amputee walk in yeah. and say there is life after amputation. Yeah. My God, that changed everything for me. They had, they, they had an amputee come and visit me and she showed up in a sundress whereas everybody's telling me to cover up right she shows up in a sundress she is flashing who she is and she's got her purse she hauls out her iphone she takes my phone number i mean she showed me that there was life and had a real conversation with me when an able-bodied person tells me Oh, there's stuff out there to help you. I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'll play your silly little game because I'm depressed. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, there is no way you have a clue what I'm going through. Yeah. Even though you see this every day, there is no way. Because <laughs> you no. can't fathom that. No. You can't. No. Um, and one way I can describe that is the trauma of somebody losing two fingers yeah. is as big as a trauma as as this absolutely because to them you're losing a part it's a you can't imagine losing any part of your body yeah right your body. and that's what and that's where it is different for me because i'm a congenital so i i didn't have to go through that so no it, but you would still if you had to get rid of a foot oh i would yes you would I, still I would. go through that same you would have the inside yeah. scoop that yeah, there no, is life yeah I know where you're going with that. No, you're, and you're exactly right. I'm just saying that in my situation currently, you're, you're telling me things that I'm learning. And I can, I can see yes. it, though. I can see it. Well, you see, in a lot of uh, the new... Uh, I sit on the ACC, and I keep saying... We say... Uh, sorry, what do we call it? Limb, what, limb awareness? 
Hmm. Like limb, limb differences, limb awareness months. Limb, yeah, and I think there is one difference. in October. Yeah, there's there's a different word, but and somebody said, why do we have to keep adding this little thing on at the end? And I said because a congenital amputee yeah. is still an amputee, but they are not our first. We say limb, limb, limb loss month. Limb loss month. Okay. Yeah. Uh, why? Why limb loss month? Now it's we really add limb loss and limb difference awareness month because you don't have a hand. Does that make you less part of the less the limb loss month uh, activities? Uh, you wouldn't have recognized yourself in our in our stuff because oh, we were talking about a traumatic a, a traumatic limb loss, not not a limb difference yeah that's interesting um, interesting perspective there's and limb loss uh, through a traumatic we suffer something called phantom pain yes that i, I understand that a congenital limb loss does not suffer no nope, not at all no nope. so there are differences oh there's there's uh, definitely differences that's why yeah. i think it's you know uh, i think it's fantastic to speak you know with people of the all different levels sure i have learned so much um, people think that because I've lost so much that I have uh, all the the ends and, and I don't and I've learned uh, different things from different people and yeah. uh, you know it's it's a learning curve and uh, that's one of the good things yes that came out of all of this was that I got introduced to a group of people that I would never have met uh, because I didn't even know really that that um community area of the world existed yes. other than through war amps whom i've always been a supporter of uh, but never knew any amputees yeah yeah uh, that's interesting. it was a world yeah it was a world i didn't know existed yes and, uh, and i here, met some i was just gonna say here you are and again you're you're when I listen to you talk, you're like a force in nature you're you're here right here let's go let's do it and i just did admire that and i I, I want to thank you for being on. You. I, you know, I, I've I've taken a lot of your time, and I apologize for that. And um, I, but I appreciate I, it. I, and and uh, you know, your your story is you know it's it's amazing. I, you know, I I hate to use adjectives like that, or or you know, I don't want to. I want to make sure I'm respectful in how I talk, but it it just it, it just means so much to me. All the learning I did through what you have online, and then just being able to. Sp- you're speaking right now. I've learned a lot. I learned a lot from what my dad went through, and this is you know five six years ago, and I didn't know a lot about that. So thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome, and I thank you for having me. And as I told you before, we started talking. I tend to chatter sometimes when I start talking about these things. So well, you thank have a passion. You. Well, I, you know, if there's anything else you want to add as we move forward, I'd love to have you on again because it just seems like there's so much more you could speak. To, uh, I'd love that. I've, I've enjoyed chatting with you today, and uh, if well, that, and the we'll, more we'll, we can get the information out there, the more lives are saved. Absolutely, and absolutely. that is my goal: is to save some lives. So let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hosted by Mike Boland. If you want to be a guest on the program, reach out to Mike at his email address, 
Mike at MikeBolin.com. This podcast is produced by One Hand Man Productions. If you are looking to start your podcast, go to OneHandManProductions.com.